cry of our heart during the rest of this week and in our lives, that God, you in your presence, the presence of your Spirit would overcome us, that we would understand what it means to live under your authority and under your control, and that your word would speak truth to our lives. And God, as we think about and we dig into your word and what you want to teach us, God, may we be people who live obedient lives, who follow you no matter what the cost, and we realize that our confidence is not in ourselves and what we can do, but what we can do in and through you because of what you have done in us through Christ. And so, God, we pray today that you would speak to us, that your spirit would convict us and encourage us during this time. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 3. Um, and I'm going to give you just a little bit because you're going to be saying, wait a second, we were in Philippians chapter 2 and you didn't cover uh, a, a portion there. I'm going to briefly cover this portion before we jump into to Philippians chapter 3. But to let you know what's going on, we've been going through a series called Joyride. And during Joyride, we've been going through this book of, uh, of Philippians. And here's one of the things I always thought about. In my uh, growing up or in my time uh, with driving, we used to do things called joyrides. And joyrides usually didn't end too joyous because usually we got ourselves in trouble. Uh, most joyrides ended up leading into problems. I'll use the example, um, growing up in Wyoming, we would get snow and the snow was soft, not like here that tends to come down really wet and then freezes. It was really soft. Matter of fact, growing up, we were talking about this last night, growing up, we would make snowballs and I never understood a snowball that stuck together. Because we would make snowballs and we'd pack it as tight as we could and you would throw it and it would go because it was just a dry snow. But the plows would come and they would plow the streets and then at the end of the streets, like on the corners, like you were still on the road, they would pile up the snow when we got a lot of snow. And so some of our joy rides were what we called drift busting. And we'd get in our cars and we would see a big, huge pile of snow, and we would floor it. And you can see where this is going, right? Like, multiple times you would just, like, and I'm talking like five foot, six foot high piles of snow. And you take your car through it, and it would just blow up, and, you know, it goes everywhere. But I was one time with my friend, we were, I don't know, 16, 17 years old, and the bad thing was the snow drift was a couple days old which means it had time to melt, and then what? Freeze, right? So my friend's like, dude, hit it. I'm like, yeah, you got to do it, bro. And he goes flying into it. It doesn't go anywhere. Matter of fact, the car took the brunt of the, the, the pain and the suffering. And so when I think of joyride, I think of times where we had a lot of fun, but there are also times when we got ourselves into trouble and we ended up really suffering the consequences of what we thought would be a fun thing. And I really want to kick into that idea of what's taking place. I want you to remember that Paul is in prison. He's in house arrest because of or for the sake of Christ. He was told to renounce it, basically. He's not going to do it, not going to walk away. So as, as a result, he's in prison 
or in, at house arrest, and he's writing back to the church at Philippi. The church of Philippi was a, a central area for the Roman government. There was a lot of high, what we would call nationalism and, and respect for the pharaohs and the governors and the, the, those people who were, not the pharaohs, sorry, the, the, the Caesars and the, the, the governors and, and things like that. And they suffered as a result of that because they did not follow the Roman rule, but were following Jesus first and foremost. So Paul is writing back to the Philippian church, and he's trying to encourage him to be joyous. And so that's where we're on the joy ride. And I want to jump into Philippians chapter 3. And while we do that, if you know anything about what we did, last week we left off about really what it meant to work out, to live blameless and pure lives. And then Paul gives us an example of people who have done that. Timothy and, and Epaphroditus who have followed Jesus. They're, they're putting their everything they have on the line. They're living for Jesus. As a matter of fact, it almost cost Epaphroditus his life. So that's the end of chapter 2. And then we jump into chapter 3, verse 1, and that's where we're going to be following along. If you follow along with me, chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. This is kind of a bragging rights to a certain extent, right? Like nobody likes the dude who boasts a lot, but Paul's basically saying, look, don't put any confidence in the flesh. But then he goes on and he's like, well, I'm going to brag a little bit here. And there's a reason why he's going to brag, all right? And I want you to understand what it is. He says, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, and as for legalistic righteousness, I was faultless. And then listen to what he says. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own. If you like to highlight or circle or anything like that, I would encourage you to do that right there. Not uh, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. So as you think about that, I want you to think about the confidence you can have in Christ. One of the things that we oftentimes do, and I try and encourage our, our kids, I'm even trying to encourage the boys on our baseball team, is to learn to be self-confident, all right? One of the things I know as a baseball player is as you get to know baseball players, some baseball players tend to be what we call very prideful and arrogant. All right, and I, and I know it's the standard stipulation. If you played baseball around or you know people who know baseball players, a lot of times it's like, man, baseball players are just arrogant. And there's a confidence thing that has to be there. And I think it's because as a coach, you teach these boys, you have to have confidence when you walk into the box. You have to be confident that if the ball's hit to you, you're gonna make the play. And so there begins to build this self-confidence that sometimes people take as arrogance. 
And Paul wants to lay out this idea that we have to have confidence in something, but it's confidence not in what we do and what we accomplish, but confidence in Christ. If you've been watching the news lately, maybe you've heard the story of Otto Warmbier. I, I don't even know how to pronounce his name. Anybody see the story about this, the kid named Otto, the, the teenager, the college kid who was uh, in prison in North Korea? Have you heard the story? He spent over almost 16 months in prison in North Korea. Matter of fact, he was a 22-year-old college student, was arrested on January 2, 2016 in Pyongyang, North Korea for allegedly stealing a propaganda poster from his hotel. Now, I did some research to find out what this propaganda poster was, and the reason why I'm using this even as an illustration is to let you see kind of the mentality that was going on in the Philippian church. What the propaganda poster was, was a poster of Kim Jong-un in his military garb, basically proclaiming the patriotism and nationalism toward the North Korean leader and the North Korean country, and he stole me. I mean, he admits it. I took the poster. It was a poster up on the wall. thought it would be a cool souvenir. He took it. All right. And here's the reality of what happens. As a result of that, he was sentenced to, get this, 15 years of hard labor for stealing a poster. All right. In the midst of that, here's what I want you to understand the reality of what's taking place in the Philippian church. The Philippian church is getting a lot of pressure from the Roman government to celebrate Roman nationalism. Because they are not catering to and not celebrating like the the North Koreans are being dictated to, to celebrate this leader, because they're not and because they're worshiping Jesus, they are now facing persecution from the Roman government and people alike because of that. So there's a fact that some are in prison, some could face prison, and Paul is now writing this letter to the Philippian church And he's saying these things to them. And so he's warning them about what's going on and having confidence in the flesh. So Otto, two months after his imprisonment, suffered a severe neurological injury. And as a result of that, was in a coma most of his time. He was released in June. As a matter of fact, July, or sorry, uh, was released on July 13th. or I sorry, arrived at the University of Cincinnati Medical Center July 13th, and on July 19th died uh, of his wounds or of his imprisonment. And here's what I want you to understand in all of this. It's not to use the Otto Warmbrier thing to talk against North Korea, but the reality of this, that we, when you stand on the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, eventually could face what ends up taking place in the lives of the Philippians and maybe the Otto type thing. And I'm not trying to put Otto on this pedestal because it's not really that idea, but I'm trying to get you to see a comparison. The people in Philippi were under great pressure from the Roman government and other citizens to celebrate what we would call Roman nationalism and the worship of the Caesars instead of worship of Jesus. And under that duress or under that, that, that temptation or that struggle, Paul begins to write this letter and he pens these verses. And so what I want you to understand from today and to see is that we have to have our confidence in Christ and Christ alone. Matter of fact, if you remember anything, I want you to remember this. Our confidence is not in what we have done, but in what God has done for us. All right? Our confidence should not come in what we have done, but what God has done for us. And that's what Paul is laying out in this 
third chapter of Philippians. He's laying out this idea that you cannot put your confidence in what you do. We are all about bragging about what we do, are, are we not? I mean, in, in today's culture, we are bragging about what we do. As a matter of fact, to a certain extent, that's really what Facebook is, is it not? I mean, I love Facebook, don't get me wrong. I love Twitter and things like that. But it's really a bragging about what we've done. We take a picture of eating somewhere, right? Wait, oh, I went to eat. Man, look at this food. It's so awesome. You go and eat. You got to eat here. It's kind of a bragging rights thing. You know, sports have all kinds of celebrations. Matter of fact, if you watch the ESPYs last uh, week on ESPN, they celebrate everything. You got all these things to celebrate. Movie stars, they don't have just one award ceremony. They have 10 award ceremonies. You got country music awards. You got the, I mean, there's like three different country music awards. You could start going down the line. We got awards for everything. Because that's the way society rolls. It's all about what I can do and what God wants to do in us, but, or what God, not what God can do in us, but what we've done on our own. But the reality is we've got to get to understand what has God done in my life. So our confidence is not in what we have done, but what, in, what God has done for us. So here's the big question. How do we, or how do I put my confidence in Christ? Because that's what Paul's getting to. Paul lays out all the things he could brag about, but Paul is trying to get to the main point to say, my main confidence, my main hope in everything I do comes in Christ and Christ alone. So listen to what he's going to say. How do I put my confidence in Christ or how do I begin to live this out? Number one, I believe is this, that we rejoice in the Lord. Listen to what he says. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in what? In the what? In the what? Rejoice in the Lord. Here's the reality. Most churches, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not trying to, a lot of churches you go into, when it comes to a rejoicing aspect, you get more scowls than you get smiles. You get more grumpy gusses than you do people who are excited that others are there, you know. I, I, and I know we joke about this, matter of fact, we were joking downstairs about, you know, parking spots and pews and stuff like that, but there are actually people in churches that do that. They will literally like, you're in my seat. It's like, really? I mean, like, what is this, kindergarten? Got assigned seating? You know, I mean, but the reality of what Paul is trying to lay out is this. My brothers, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And here's the beauty of this. If you know anything about this, we, we, we called this series Joyride for a reason. Paul is stressing rejoicing in the Lord in every circumstance that goes on in their life. And so he lays this out, and there are four separate times, or several, really several times, but I wanted to point these out. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul mentions rejoicing twice. In chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, Paul mentions rejoicing twice. In chapter 3, verse 1, he says, hey, I want you to rejoice. He does it once. In chapter 4, verse 4, he does it twice. In chapter 4, verse 10, he does it once. If there's only four chapters in the book of Philippians and he's telling them to rejoice, what is the point he's trying to get across to the Philippian people regardless of what they face? Rejoice. How do I put my confidence in Christ? I have to learn to rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in what I face, rejoice in every circumstance and situation that I walk through regardless of what comes out about it or what comes out through it. I learn to rejoice in the Lord consistently and constantly. And so with this repeated as many times as it is for the church, we have to begin to understand that this is most likely a word that the Philippian church needed to hear. 
Because the reality is when you get kicked enough times, where does your mind tend to go? It goes down. You begin to get an attitude of woe is me. Why can't anything ever go right? What the heck's going wrong? What am I doing wrong? All of these things. And I think Paul is trying to encourage the Philippian church because they are down. They've struggled. And so he's trying to encourage them to rejoice. Now look, I understand there are times in life you're just like, golly, can anything else go wrong? Can I just get a break here? I mean, maybe you've prayed that before. God, will you just will you back off just a little bit? Maybe, you know, lighten the load just a little bit. I, I feel like I'm carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders. And if anybody could say that, I feel like that, that would be Paul. And what Paul says is rejoice in the Lord. Matter of fact, he's going to go on in chapter 4, which we'll cover later. He says, rejoice in the Lord. And he says, I'm not, going to, I'm not ashamed to say it. Matter of fact, I'll say it again. Rejoice in the Lord. You know, there was a song we used to sing, and I'm not going to sing it, but it was rejoice in the Lord. Always again I say rejoice. You guys remember that? All right. I'm not going to sing it because I'm probably launch you back into the 70s with stuff like that. But I mean, it's, it's just one of those things. We used to sing that in like VBS and things. But he's laying this out. Rejoice in the Lord. See, the best cure for discouragement is what? Rejoicing. Joy. One of the best cures for being discouraged is being around somebody who's joyful, is it not? I mean, have you ever been down in the dumps and you're like, you need, to a certain extent, you need a fix from a friend? Somebody who's going to build you up and encourage you, not tear you down or not be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know, life sucks, you just got to get over it. You know, you don't need that. You need somebody who's going to be like, man, I, I understand, I feel for you. And then they encourage you and they build you up. So we rejoice in the Lord. How do we put our confidence in Christ? We rejoice in the Lord. And here's why. Self-confidence has limited potential. But confidence in God has unlimited potential. Have you ever let yourself down? Have you ever done something, you look back and you're like, oh my gosh, what the heck? Self-confidence has limited potential, but confidence in God has unlimited potential. And so Paul is laying this out. Rejoice in the Lord. There's Kay Warren, who is the, the wife of Rick Warren. He's a pastor of Saddleback Church out in California says this, joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life, the quiet confidence that everything is going to be okay, and the determined, listen to this, the determined choice to praise God in all things. That's what true joy is, to praise God in all things. Matter of fact, Psalm chapter 18 or 118 verse 24 says, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Think about that. Rejoice in the Lord. You put your confidence in Christ when you are rejoicing in the Lord. When you see the good things and the bad things, regardless of what happens, that I celebrate with joy what God has taken me through. Number two, how do I put my confidence in Christ? I learn to glory in Christ. This is, has everything to do with worship. And our idea of worship in church most often today is worship is music and my life is everything else which is a completely separate idea from really what Scripture lays out. Worship is everything that goes on in your life. Music is just an expression of worship in my life. 
And so when Paul lays out in verse 2, listen to what he says. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have every reason. What we have to begin to understand is this. When we worship God for who he is, we live a lifestyle of worship daily, day in and day out, that glorifies Christ in everything we do. Whether by word or by action, everything brings glory to Christ. So how do I put confidence in Christ or how do I put my confidence in Christ? I glory in Christ. You ever been around a person who, when something happens, they're like, praise the Lord. I'm not one of those guys. I'm not the guy, you know, I remember checking people out at times, you know, when I worked at Chick-fil-A, I would checking them out and, and helping them and there'd be some lady and be like, oh, you know, that costs this and they would say something and all of a sudden they would go, praise the Lord. And they're like, yeah, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying, I'm just not that type of person. I don't normally do those types of things. But if you've been around those types of people, it's awesome. It's an encouraging thing because they glory in Christ in every situation and circumstance that they faced. And so listen to what he says. And I want to give you a warning here because he's warning them about these people called Judaizers. Judaizers were Greek people who became Jewish. They thought they had to follow the law. They needed to be under the law. And he's warning them because there were people, most likely people even going to the church at Philippi, part of the church at Philippi, who were telling other believers, you need to be circumcised. And Paul's warning them. Oh, hold on a second here. Let me let you know this. You got to watch out for those dogs. You know, watch out for those low lowlifes. Watch out for those people who are trying to add extra regulations on to what it means to follow Christ. Following Christ is putting my faith and trust in the work of Jesus on the cross and belief in the fact that he rose from the grave. That is what saves you. That is what leads a person into eternal security with Christ and in Christ. The reality is a lot of people want to set up standards and stipulations and say, you got to be a certain way when you come into our church. You got to dress a certain way. You got to act a certain way. Now, I think your actions should reflect the God of the Bible. They should reflect Christ-like characteristics and qualities. But the problem is a lot of churches started to go, you got to do this. You got to dress a certain way. Your hair needs to be cut a certain way. You can't act certain ways. You can't do things like that. You can't sing certain songs. Matter of fact, there's a, a, a guy that um, is a pastor up and down the East Coast. I don't know how we got connected, but he's my friend on Facebook. And he posted a thing the other day about how the only reason they will sing only hymns. And my, my, my uh, what would I call it? I don't know. My personality really wanted to say something, but I kept my mouth shut. <laughs> because deep down inside, I really, and I love, listen to me, I love the hymns. This is not a bash on hymns. What drives me nuts is when people say, if you went back and sang the hymns, then God all of a sudden would be glorified because he's not being glorified in these other songs, of which I then say, baloney. Because if that's the reality, then Jesus was never honored and glorified between the time he died and the 1700s when the hymns really started coming about. Now, it's okay to like certain types of music. There's nothing wrong with that. But don't limit God's potential based upon your preference of what you like in life. Because God works outside of music. You realize God works outside of us. You realize that the Holy Spirit, I mean, we just sang that song, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. 
fill this place, or come fill this place, fill the atmosphere, whatever. I don't know the words. All right, I'm not great with that part, but the reality of what takes place is the Spirit is living and active and moving and working in you, around you, through you, and despite of you. When you may be at your worst, the Spirit is still at its best working. And so I glory in Christ and what God wants to do in and through me. And it's a sign of a covenant relationship. You realize that, that the, the circumcision was a sign of a covenant relationship. If you go in and look up circumcision, matter of fact, you go in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, there was circumcision, like the physical act of circumcision. The New Testament, it says, is no longer circumcision because you're no longer under law, but you're under grace. Matter of fact, now circumcision talks about circumcision of the heart, which carries the idea that God cuts away everything that you don't need. He removes the stuff that you don't need out of your life and he gives you a new life. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new is come. There's a completely different segment. And so Paul is laying this out. How do I put my confidence in Christ? By glorying or glorifying in Christ. I, I, I want to glory in Christ. Listen again what he says. For it is we who are the circumcision. In other words, the ones who have put our faith and trust in Christ, we are the ones who have been circumcised of the heart. We who worship by the Spirit of God. We worship by the Spirit, who glory in Christ Jesus. Everything that we do, we glorify Christ in everything. And who put no confidence in the flesh. Those are really four characteristics of what should be evident in the life of a believer. Number one, you have been changed by Christ. Your heart has been circumcised. Number two, you worship by the Spirit. Now, here's the one thing I got to say, because there's always that borderline danger I've heard, you know, from what I will call hyper-charismatics. Well, the Spirit told me I could do it. Let me, let me just clarify one thing. The Spirit will never contradict God's Word. Never. It only unifies it only supports and brings unity to. The Spirit will never contradict God's Word, all right? So there's the second standard or second stipulation, we who worship uh, by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus. If you are a Christian and you can't mention the name of Jesus Christ around other people because you're afraid or embarrassed and things like that, you might just check yourself. You can't let the fear of what could be said hinder you from moving forward. He says we glory in Christ. If you glory in something, you're going to talk about it. I mean, you obviously know I love baseball. Why? Because I talk about it a lot. I love my family. talk about my family a lot. I like my past. I like what I experienced. Now, do I wish I could go back and redo my past? Oh, heck yeah. Do I wish I didn't do things in my past? Yeah, but I can't dwell in the past. Why? Because God's changed me from who I was to who I am now. So I glory in Christ. And then listen, a Christian should not put any confidence in the flesh. One of the biggest struggles a lot of people have said in the past is, well, I don't like going to church because the church is full of hypocrites, of which we always say we are because everybody's a sinner. Everybody's a sinner saved by grace, so you're going to have hypocrisy at some point in time in your life. If you're a believer, you're going to look like a hypocrite, period. Because you're going to say something that you should be doing and live a different life. But listen to me in this. 
I want you to understand this because this is what he says. Who puts no confidence in the flesh. When I'm a hypocrite, when I am a sinner, when I am caught in my sin, I glory in who Christ is and what Christ did because it's only by the grace of Jesus that I'm able to have new life. But when I start bragging about myself and what I do, then I begin to realize that I'm even further from Christ than I've ever understood. And so here's how it played out in an old school. Maybe it was something like this. For many in the church, it would have been something like this. And this is laying out, jumping into what Paul's going to jump into here in a second. But for many, it would be something like this. Saved when I was four. I'm a fourth generation member of this church. I've been to every VBS that this church has ever done. Matter of fact, I got every Awana Bible verse memorized. I've got high moral values. I vote conservative all the time. Matter of fact, I think the Republican Party is part of just God's plan. As for zeal, I've served in many forms. I've taught in the church. I've done mission trips. I'm a deacon. I'm a Sunday school teacher. And I volunteer for VBS in every outreach I've ever done. I have no problem and I never struggle with sin and I do everything right. That may be something that to a certain extent, you may laugh and we can kind of joke about it, but listen to what Paul says. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. See, a lot of times that's the way we go about doing it. Well, I didn't, I didn't drink. I didn't you know, run around with a bad crowd. I didn't have problems. I, I didn't, you know, I didn't become an addict. I, I've never struggled with these types of things. I've never been in prison. I'm pretty good. And what Paul says is you never put confidence in your flesh. Why? Because your flesh still is, according to the Bible, your righteousness, according to your flesh, is still filthy rags. So when I like to brag about myself and what I can accomplish and how good I may be, Paul says it still doesn't matter. It's still nasty. It's still gross. It's still ugly. And so I glory in Christ and Christ alone. Number three, how do I put my confidence in Christ? Or how do we put our confidence in Christ? We have to get over ourselves. You have to get over yourself. Don't be so self-conscious and so self-centered and don't put your confidence in your fleshly accomplishments. I mean, to a certain extent, that's the way it plays out, but Paul wants us to understand that we can't get over ourselves enough. We have to get over ourselves and put our confidence in Christ. Matter of fact, if you'll follow along with me in verse 7, it says, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. So Paul says, you may think that those were great things in the past, but listen to me, what I want you to understand is everything that may look like as a profit for me and for my life, I consider a loss for the sake of knowing Christ. Because Paul is laying out something that I think we have to begin to understand. And he's laying out some very specific guidelines that he followed. He says, I have more confidence. Why? Because I was circumcised on the eighth day. A Jew in good standing would always circumcise their kids on the eighth day. It was just the way the standards worked. It was the way the law worked. So they were circumcised on the eighth day. And he says, I'm of the people of Israel. In other words, Paul is tracing his lineage All the way back to guess who? Father Abraham. Had many sons. 
and many sons had Father Abraham. You get the picture. Paul is laying it out to say, I can trace my lineage all the way back to Abraham. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the people of Israel. Not only am I of the people of Israel, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. And for those of you who don't know, if you are part of the tribe of Benjamin, there was great respect and great dignity uh, placed upon the tribe of Benjamin. They were great warriors. They were great leaders. And you will see throughout Scripture that the tribe of Benjamin had many great leaders throughout it. And so when Paul says, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, he's basically saying, I'm one of the best tribes. We had great dignity and respect. A Hebrew among Hebrews. In regard to the law, he was a Pharisee. And you have to begin to understand what a Pharisee did. A Pharisee was highly respected. A person who lived by the law, who taught the law, who knew the law inside and out. And then he says, as far as for zeal, I persecuted the church. I did everything I could to stop the movement that Jesus started. And as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. You get what he's saying? This is kind of that mentality that some people walk in and they want to look at everybody else's sins, but we don't look inward and reflect on our own. And what Paul's saying is, you've got to get over yourself. You've got to focus on Christ. If you want to glory in Christ, if you want to celebrate and have confidence in Christ, you have to get over yourself. And listen to what he says, what is more, I consider everything a loss. Listen, that's, that's everything in the former, the former gains, the religious pursuits, the service, the birthright, but it also includes his status, his material possessions, the honor and comforts of everything that he did. He says, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. So I want to know Christ. I want to gain Christ. I want to be a person who follows Christ no matter what. And then he says this, though. For whose sake I have lost all things and consider them rubbish, junk, trash. Matter of fact, if you look up the word rubbish, it's actually like the idea of scraps of food. But it's also used as a term to talk about dung, animal dung. And he's basically saying, I consider that basically junk. It's gone. It's rubbish. It doesn't matter. And that's the beauty of the gospel. You realize that? That regardless of who you were in the past, Jesus still circumcises your heart and makes you the exact same person as a person who says, I never did all of those things. Because it doesn't matter. A person who never did all of these things and a person who did all of these things are still in the same state. It's called lostness and hopelessness apart from Christ. But when you're in Christ, regardless of your past, you can glory in who Christ is because your confidence is in Christ who paid the price that you and I couldn't pay for ourselves. And so the beauty of the joy and the reason why Paul is saying you can rejoice in the Lord is because the confidence is not in who you are, not in who you've been or who you don't want to be anymore, but who Christ makes you as a result of his grace and mercy. So you get over yourself. And I'm convinced of this, that many in the church today have great potential but we squander it because there's no, listen, there's no commitment to Christ. It's only about what we can do. 
we squander the potential, the power that God has. The same power he talks about in Matthew chapter 28. All power and authority has been given to me under heaven and earth. And you're to go and make disciples. He's basically saying the same power that rose Jesus from the grave has been given to him. He has control of it. He's given it to his people through the power of the Spirit. And he's telling them to go and make disciples. The same power that was evident at the the tomb, evident at the resurrection, is still evident and capable of being used today. But the problem is most of us are so focused on ourselves that we miss out on that. See, God knows what you're going through. God knows what you face, the struggles, the joys, the difficulties, your marriage, your family life, your job, financial problems, each and every situation of struggle you've been in. And he wants you to understand that all of the stuff in the past is forgotten and removed when your faith is in Christ. See, true righteousness comes through faith in Christ, and true righteousness stands complete in Christ. I am made righteous by Christ. That's what he's saying. I consider them rubbish that I may be may be well, sorry, that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. And the last thing to know, how do we put our confidence in Christ? Number four, you get to know Christ. Listen to what he says in verse 10. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Here's the deal. When we come to the idea of knowing, a lot of times we talk about knowing somebody. Like, I'm trying to think here. Steve Miller Band was here Thursday night, I think. I know the Steve Miller band. Like, how many would say you know the Steve Miller band? You listen to him, right? But do you really know the Steve Miller band? You don't know them. You might know who they are, but you don't know them. And I think I've used this in the past. We were in Romania uh, on a mission trip, and this this is just this shows you what people think about the United States. But this girl comes up to Sarah and she's like do you know the Jonas Brothers? And Sarah's like, yeah, I know the Jonas Brothers. And the girl goes, will you tell them hi? And Sarah's like, oh yeah, I, like, I don't, like they live in California, I'm pretty sure. Like, I don't know them like that. You know, I mean, it's, I played baseball against Ryan Howard who played baseball for the Philadelphia Phillies. Big bragging rights. You know, I like to go back and talk about who I played baseball against. I could say I know Ryan Howard, he hit three home runs off us in one game. I don't know Ryan Howard. I know who he is. We played against him. He's a big guy. He could hit the ball really far. That doesn't mean I know him. I didn't hang out with him. I wasn't best friends with him. We didn't go and do things together. I don't know Ryan Howard. What Paul is saying here is this. I want to know Christ. Knowledge is more about experience with than just knowing about who he is. Knowledge is an interaction between two individuals that takes place in a relationship format, not something that we just walk away from and go, hey, I know it, we're good. Knowing Christ is an intimate, personal thing that Paul is laying out that all of us need to experience. 
How do we put our confidence in Christ? You have to know Christ. And listen to what he says. It's not just this idea of experiencing, but listen to what he says. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. The question would be this. If you have been a believer for a long time, have you ever experienced the power of Christ in your life in any form, any situation, or any circumstance? Because that's what Paul's saying. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I want to see that played out in my life day in and day out. And here's the reality, I think. When we see that played out day in and day out, it's as a result of Christ living in us and through us and seeing God work in us and through us in the lives of other people around us. And so he's saying, I want to know Christ. But listen, here's the beautiful thing about this. Remember, he starts off with joy. And he says, I want to know the Christ and the power of of his resurrection, but listen to what he also says, and the fellowship of sharing in his what? How many of you would pray that? God, I want to experience your power, the same power that was evident in your resurrection, and I want to share in your suffering. Because the reality is, I don't know many people who would pray that. Paul, to a certain extent, is on a whole nother wavelength right here. And what I believe is taking place here is the power of the Spirit working in the life of Paul and letting Paul realize that in the midst of his suffering in jail for the, for the sake of Christ, he is experiencing the power of the resurrection and sharing in the suffering. Do you know that there really is like a theology of suffering in the Bible? And it's not name it, claim it, health and wealth gospel. There are times where Christians will suffer. That's what Jesus offers. Life and life more abundantly in Christ. But guess what? There's going to be times you're probably going to suffer. But Paul lays that out. If you want to experience Christ day in and day out, you want to put your confidence in him, these are things that take place. I would say this just as a very basic illustration, probably not necessarily completely accurate, but I would say that less than 10% of all Christians turn to seek God in His Word when they face major dilemmas, problems, difficulties, struggles, or decisions. Because sometimes we just roll with the punches. And Paul says, basically, you need to learn to turn to God. That when you share in his sufferings, you will become like him in his death. That I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Here's the reality, I think, in Paul's statements and what he's trying to communicate to us. Is in the midst of everything... Remember going back to chapter 2, he talks about who Jesus is and what Jesus did and how he's exalted to the right hand of the Father at the name of Jesus. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and in heaven and on earth and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And in the midst of that, there are going to be times where you're going to face troubles and difficulties and persecution and, and, and struggles. But in the midst of all that, Paul says, I want you to know that you can rejoice in the Lord regardless of what happens. Because in that, you get to experience the power of the resurrection and share in the sufferings 
that Christ shared in for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the fact that we can experience life in a different way. God, that at times we think that when we put our faith and trust in Christ, we'll never face difficulty or struggle, trial or hardship. But the reality is that when we are obedient to you and your word and what you have called us to be, God, that we will suffer at times. We will face difficulties and trials. But God, we can go through those difficulties and trials through the power of the resurrection, knowing that you are right there with us and beside us, that you will not leave us or forsake us. God, I pray today that we would just simply walk this out in our lives, that God, we would be able to boast in the power of the cross. We would boast in who Christ is, that we would put our confidence in Christ and not what we have done because the reality is every one of us walk through the doors of this church and we may think we have it together or we may think we don't, but it doesn't matter what we think. The truth of the matter remains if, if we put our faith and trust in Christ because regardless of our past, regardless of how good we think we've done, apart from Christ, we can do nothing. God, I pray that we would put our confidence in Christ day in and day out. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.